Well, Lord, we ask that you would, you would hear our prayers or that we would sense your compassion and your willingness to receive the words that we put before your throne of grace and that, Lord, we would experience your grace and your mercy and your presence right now as we open your word. We thank you that you are good to do that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, guys. How are you? Hope you're well. I think it's uh, safe to say that I am officially the, uh, you know, itinerant Soma preacher since I was just here in October. So if you work up a badge or something for next time, Brandon, that would be, that would be fantastic. I'd really appreciate that. And um, man, uh, you know, Brandon talked a little bit about my wife, Melissa, who's in the front here, about our, our role at uh, Harbor Network, always on brand, obviously, with my sweatshirt here. Um, and just, uh, the, just sort of our role as directors of care. But I, but I also, um, man, we're also church planners. And uh, so we, we have a lot of, uh, lot of commonality with, with Brandon and Emily. And they have, they have served us in a lot of ways. They've cared for us a lot of ways. And if there's one thing I know about them, it's how much uh, their heart is for you and uh, how much they love you. And when I'm with Brandon, I can't shut the guy up about how much he loves you and he cares for you. And the same, same with Emily. So um, what a thing to have a pastor and a pastor's wife who have given themselves so, themselves so fully over to, uh, to you in, in the form of what we're gonna be talking about this morning, which is the way that they, they pray for you. And they pray that God's grace and mercy would be formed around you and this church body. So um, knowing that, that gives you about nine months uh, to plan for Pastor Appreciation Month, which is gonna hit on October 1. Brandon did not ask me to say this, but it gives you some time to, to work something really nice to send them to the Bahamas for a few days or something like that. And uh, yeah, you're welcome, Shields, for that. Um, well, hey, I want to acknowledge I'm going to have you turn to Philippians, by the way, so if you want to do this, turn to Philippians 4. I'm going to be hitting a bunch of different passages. I'm going to have us just turn to a few of them, but I want to acknowledge really from the outset about how difficult uh, prayer is, what a difficult thing it is for us, and then um, uh, more importantly than just how difficult it is for us and how we understand it and how we act it out and how we receive it is how sympathetic Jesus is to us, knowing that about the way that, uh, that, that the, the difficult place that prayer has in our lives. Um, man, a message on prayer or a series on prayer, man, it can just bring feelings of, of condemnation. So my, my prayer, my hope would be that we don't feel condemnation over the next two weeks, but we feel commended. We feel commended toward prayer because we know that Christ receives our prayers with compassion. He's not just wagging his finger going, finally, you guys are doing the thing that I just told the disciples to do over and over again in the New Testament. Um, so, but I was thinking about how many of us begin our relationship to prayer not exactly knowing much about it. Even if it's been preached to us over and over again, there's still this sort of air of mystery, I think, about prayer. We still are in the dark a little bit about the effects of prayer. And maybe some of us it's due because we, due to the fact that we had this experience with prayer growing up, uh, maybe in a Christian household, 
maybe in a church or, or maybe in the absence of either of those things, but, but we really understood prayer as something that we were told to do, right? Say your prayer before bedtime or maybe something that we just like mumbled a token thanks before we, you know, dove into dinner like ravenous wolves, right? We might even have this default setting that, that prayer is just what, what good people who believe in God are supposed to do. It's just sort of this obligatory act. But in reality, maybe um, a lot of us have never been told very specifically, you know, what to pray or even how to pray or even given an explanation as to the reason why Christians pray at all. And so I, I wonder how many of you have felt like prayer is this somewhat just nagging or annoying, or like I said earlier, even this obligatory thing that feels like you're just speaking random words in your head or into the air that God either has no interest in or, hey, he's going to do what he's going to do anyway, right? So why, why do we pray? So what I want to do is I'm going to start with a, a quick summary statement of what prayer is, and then we're going to get in a little bit of the practical nature of prayer. We're going to get into the why we should pray. We're going to go to Luke 11 and, and, and get into what Jesus instructed the disciples in terms of, of what or, or how to pray. And then we're going to get into a little of, of when to pray. And I hope this will be an encouraging time for you. But this is how we should understand prayer. And there's probably a lot of different ways to, to come at this and describe this. But here's one way. And it's that prayer is coming boldly and humbly before God so that our heart becomes more deeply conform to the will of God so that we grow more deeply in the love and peace of Jesus Christ, all while preparing and sustaining us missionally in the world. That's the longest definition anybody's ever heard of prayer in the history of the world. Let me say it one more time. We come before, prayer is coming before the Lord humbly and boldly, and it's so that our hearts become more deeply conformed to the will of God so that we grow more deeply in the love and peace of Christ. And all the while, it's preparing and sustaining us missionally in the world. So let me just jump right into Philippians 4, because, because Paul kind of sets it up, and he kind of shapes prayer a little bit us, a little bit for us in terms of, of what we are to be doing and how we are to be thinking of it and some of the effects that he sort of describes it should be having on our hearts. Philippians 4, verse 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul provides this sort of list as a way for us to see prayer in the way that it forms us, right? What we learn here from Paul is that prayer is one of the ongoing benefits of redemption, as this guy named David Mathis describes it, in that God uses it in our life to draw us closer to him so that our hearts and minds become more guarded by the peace of God. I don't know. 2020 was one of those years where we really needed the peace of God. And thankfully in 2021, we haven't like needed it at all, right? No, I mean, we like turned the corner into 21 and we realized that, man, we need our hearts guarded 
um, buy something that is actually outside of us so that our hearts aren't being just, just shot out in all these different directions that keep us in a constant fit, in a constant state of anxiety and a sense of overwhelmingness in our hearts and lives. So prayer is an ongoing, it's a benefit of redemption, right? So I want to start with a little bit with the why. Why should we pray? Well, one of the, the most simple answers to this is we pray because God's word instructs us, first of all, if we go to 1 Thessalonians 1.16, God, God instructs us through Paul to pray without ceasing. And what this means for us um, is that it's a good and a right thing to make it a habit, like Paul's instructing the church, uh, to be in constant conversation with your creator. Do you, you think of prayer like that? Like just being in a constant, ongoing conversation uh, with God. So Melissa and I, we, we just have this, we have this text thread that is just like ongoing forever between the two of us. And it really is just this ongoing conversation. So though no matter where we're at, you know, uh, in proximity to one another, we always kind of know what the other person is doing. And we're, we're just constantly talking to each other. Some of you guys are like going, that sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. But what it does is it keeps us aware of what the other person is not only doing, but how the other person is feeling. And how we can understand maybe a little bit of what the other person is going through or what's coming up in their life and in their day in that particular moment. But what it means is that we have this ongoing conversation. And, and the reason why it's really helpful is because I know that she wants to know. I know that she wants to know where I'm at and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling. And I want to know the same thing about her. So it's this, there's this mutuality in our concern and in our care that comes to and from one another in our conversation. Proverbs 147.11 tells us, the Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in his love. So, so just like a, a conversation helps reaffirm and reassure our relationship with others, that's one of the things that prayer does. Prayer is an expression of that hope that we have that God is there, that he is with us, that all those things that he's promised us are still intact and they're still in place. Have you ever had uh, the opportunity to spend some time maybe like you met a person or you've talked to a person and before you part ways, maybe it's somebody that you've just been waiting and desiring to meet and before you part ways, they give you their personal information. They say something like, hey man, do not hesitate to contact me anytime, man. I'm, I'm never too busy to take your call. What they're saying is that you have access to them. What they're saying is that you have access and they have availability to you. And that's all great, except for the fact that there's limitations with that, because they might say, contact me anytime, but if you start calling them at 3 a.m., they're going to tell you what they meant by the phrase anytime, right? But God is someone who accepts and welcomes our prayers without limitation. He takes pleasure with those who hope in his love, prayer being the way that we express our hope in his love. Proverbs 15, 8. Again, this is wisdom for us in how we need to be thinking of prayer. 
15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So one of the reasons why we pray is because we know our prayers reach his ears and touch his heart in a way that he approves of us coming before him. That does something, doesn't it? To go before God and knowing that what we say to him and what we explain to him and what we moan and groan and complain to him, I didn't even mean that to rhyme, and it did. There's something about that that helps reassure and reaffirm our hope for him and his love for us. Because why? Because our prayers are acceptable to him. So we glorify God and delight his heart when we come to him in prayer. What else? What else? Why do we pray? Well, prayer is how we speak to God. It's how we have God's ear. Man, you read the Psalms, and the Psalms are just insane. When you, when you really dive into the content of what these dudes were laying before God, man, they're just, they're groaning, they're complaining, they're rejoicing, they're confessing their sin. They're expressing their thankfulness. They're asking for help. They're telling God what they need, when they need it, why they need it, right? There's such a freedom for us understanding prayer when we read the Psalms and just getting the scope of what it can mean and the permission that we have and that you have of going before the Lord with, dude, whatever, whatever it is. David said in Psalm 55, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. I mean, tell us what you're really trying to say, David, right? And he hears my voice, is what David says. That's just remarkable, right? To utter my complaint and moan before the Lord. And not only that, not, he, he's not like some of our parents who just said, you know what, I, I've had it, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm done hearing your complaints. Imagine there being somebody who is never done, who is never impatient with hearing your moaning and your complaining, but he hears your voice. He also hears our confession. David said in 51, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, David prays. And then in Psalm 9 verse 1, David, he, he, can, he professes his thankfulness to God. He said, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So, so prayer is not just like this very narrow thing, but it's this, it's this almost this cinematic thing for us. It's this wide, this wide sort of panavision sort of view that we have, that we need to be able to look at what it is that we're doing when we go before uh, God, imagine having the opportunity to speak to the one who gave you the ability to speak. And not only that, but he finds joy when you bring him the unspoken expressions of your heart. Whatever form they happen to be taking. Like what God is not doing is he's not saying, hey, you know what? Um, before you come to me in prayer, I need you to go back and do some editing and some, some moderating. I need you to go back and kind of think about what you're going to say and be careful because remember, um, there's just some things I'm going to want to hear today depending on my mood and other things, mm, not so much. Like he's saying that just bring all of it to me. And the Psalms teach us that. 
that we bring it all before the throne of grace. And that word grace clues us in to what it is that God is going to receive from us, which, by the way, is everything, right? John chapter 9, verse 31, we remember that Jesus healed a blind man, and the religious leaders and the Pharisees, man, they just wanted to get him to a place where he was going to admit that, man, this thing didn't really happen. It wasn't really Jesus. They wanted him to sort of like revamp his story because they didn't like that Jesus healed with him. And this is what this guy finally says. He says, hey, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now, he wasn't saying that we all have to be perfect before God listens to to us, but he is affirming what the Old Testament passages, namely the Psalms, tell us is that, man, for those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, man, God receives our prayer. He actually listens. We have God's ear. Imagine being able to express your every thought, your every disappointment, your every sin, your every hope and fear your every failure, your every evil thought, every angry impulse, every happiness and dream you've never spoken to anyone else in the world. Imagine having someone that you can bring all of those things to and then imagine the smile that comes over the face of God. Imagine the understanding in his eyes as you are committing all of these crazy things to him, and then the love in his voice that he would have for you as he's receiving and accepting and hearing and delighting in these words that you bring before him. When you pray, you have God's ear. Secondly, prayer is how we get We get close to God. Prayer is how we experience proximity with God. It's how we do things like confess our sins like we were doing in our liturgy. It's how we become conformed to his will. James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he just gets really real and he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is just not subtle. We're going through James right now at our church and, you know, half the time you're reading this, you're going, okay. Got it, James. Tell us how you really feel, except he does, right, every single time. What we know is that sin is always crouching at the door, seeking to master us like it did Cain, like it did Adam and Eve's son. But some sins, you know this, because you all came in with some of these like I did. Some sins stick to us. They just stick, and they form patterns, and they form habits that are incredibly difficult for us to break. That's all of us coming in today with something that's like that. What Jesus does through prayer is he draws close to us and he transforms us, Paul tells us in Romans, by the renewing of our minds as we continue to pursue holiness. It's in this way that he sees us through. He sees us through some of these patterns and some of these habits that we can't break through. And we are never in our own power and in our own strength going to be able to break through. Man, sometimes I wonder, 
some of these besetting sins that we struggle with. I wonder if we have ever prayed that, that God would, would guard us against those. Have we ever diligently prayed, Lord, can you deliver me? Can you help me with these temptations and some of these sins that just tend to keep scraping against me and keeping me down? I mean, do you pray ferociously that God might deliver you from the sins that affect you in all these ways, sins that affect us physically and emotionally and spiritually? I I wonder in my own life if maybe I haven't progressed much in some of my battles with sin because I haven't developed a pattern of prayer to combat that which is really going on, which is that I'm really engaged in a spiritual battle all the time. What prayer does is it combats that spiritual battle that we're actually in, right? Ephesians 6 tells us that, man, you you battle not against flesh and blood. Like, Paul wanted us to know that, like, understand what's really going on. There's all these peripheral things, man, that are just pulling at you. But it's actually something, it's the thing behind the thing, is what Paul's saying. There's actually something spiritual going on that is the cause and the reason for the things that we struggle with. For you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and spiritual forces. So man, we believe that, right? As a a church that takes very seriously what God's word tells us, man, we believe that there is that spiritual realm. We believe that there are forces at work that we can't see that are moving in ways and in shapes in our heart to form us and conform us to passions that actually Christ has already delivered us from, but that we need constant reformation and reshaping to be formed to the passions of Christ. First Peter chapter 1, 13, Peter gives us this encouragement, and he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we set our hope? How do you set something up? How do you set your hope fully on the revelation of the words that we have through this book that we open and believe and live our lives off and from the hope of? Well, we do it through prayer. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So why do we pray? Because prayer is foundational in our pursuit of holiness, because we recognize that our battle is not out there, it's in here. And what a gracious thing that God doesn't just leave us to work this out and to figure these things out, but he gives us a way and a means. He gives us a benefit to our redemption in a way that allows us to pursue holiness, be more deeply conformed to the will of Christ, and actually have some joy in it because he is commending us. He is not condemning us anymore. That's the gospel. That is the good news. 
And then the third way, the third why, um, is that prayer replaces apathy with compassion. That is a, that is a word, that is a phrase there that I, that I got from Pastor John Amwacheka, who is the African-American pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's what he says. And I love that. Why do we pray? We pray because prayer replaces apathy with compassion. He goes on to say this. He says, a prayerful community of confession is a peaceful community. So our desire and our ability to become a community that is moved against apathy and toward action in our community is dependent on how we cultivate a life of prayer, both individually and corporately. And I love that Brandon makes that such an emphasis here. Man, we're not just praying for ourselves. Although prayer is very much an individual thing that we need to put into practice and to habit, it's very much a corporate thing. In other words, if you could look to the right or left of you, think about the way that your neighbor and your community will be affected by your diligence and your belief and your practice pattern and habit of prayer. Because foundationally, there's nothing else that's going to set your hope right on the right thing, right? So, so our, our hope, we have all these hopes, and they're all like this, right? And we have all these things threatening to take our hope and set it on something that is not ultimate for us. And what prayer does is prayer resets our hope on the very thing that's going to ground it, which is the gospel. So when you look to the right or left, you, you, you don't just think, well, man, I just, I just need to pray because God's going to bless me. But you need to pray so that God blesses others through your prayer. Isn't that remarkable? So, so it's not just something that's going to hit me here and it's going to affect me here, but as it affects my heart, as it changes my heart, as it grounds my hope, this thing just shoots out. And it shoots out to your neighbors and it shoots out to your church community and it shoots out to your city. Do we have any conception of how deeply prayer changes our lives in the life of others. Scripture wants us to understand that. Scripture compels us to believe that, to receive that, and to practice that. Prayer is how we set our minds for action. Prayer is how we become increasingly sober-minded It's how we more continuously set our hope fully on God's grace. It's the way that we are conformed to the passions of God. So that's some of the why. Hope that was clear. Let's get to the what. Let's let's go to Luke 11. Let's get a little bit to the what and the how. What should we pray? Because what we know about Jesus is that the posture of Jesus was one of prayer. And by the way, the disciples saw that. So when we get to Luke 11 and they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, there would have been something very specific about the character of Jesus in, his, in the way that he prayed that the disciples wanted to get in on. So when they say, teach us how to pray, Jesus, there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that compelled them to say, hey, we need this. We want to get in on this. How do we do this so that our lives become modeled 
and more deeply conformed to your life. So this is what it says in Luke uh, 11, verses 2. It says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So, man, we could spend weeks unpacking this just very quickly. There's really five major pieces to this. The first thing he talks about is when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, remember who you're praying to, right? This is not merely a casual conversation that we have with friends and buddies. You're praying to the almighty God, the creator of the universe. That's a way that when we approach God, when we approach the throne of grace, man, there's a, there's a, there's a sobriety there that that creates in our hearts and we understand who it is that we're approaching. We're approaching the almighty God of the universe. Then he says, your kingdom come. And what this indicates to us is that when we go before God, we are not simply just trying to just deliver him that Christmas list of requests, although that's part of our prayer. But what we're really doing is wanting him to conform our will to his. We're wanting our priorities to line up with his priorities. We want our desires to line up with his desire. We want our will to be reshaped and reordered so it becomes his will for our life. So you see the way prayer is already being set up in the way that Jesus instructed his disciples. Remember who you're praying to. And remember what it is that we're doing. We're lining ourselves up in alignment with everything that God wants for us which is always going to be the best thing for us. And then he gets into some practicalities where he says, give us each day our daily bread. So part of our prayer is a sense of neediness and desperation and an understanding that everything we have and everything we need is going to need to be provided by the only one who actually has the power to do that. Provide for me, God, is what we're saying when we pray. Because all good things come from you. And not only that, but it's remembering that it's his joy to supply me with those needs. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So part of prayer is confession. You know, and by the way, your liturgy in a lot of ways, which is very similar to what we do at our church, your liturgy follows this pattern in, in, in many ways. Um, but part of praying is confession. Part of prayer is letting God surface things in our hearts in terms of how we have been treating our brothers and sisters so that we can forgive them the debts that we have been forgiven. So really what it's saying here is that prayer is, is a humbling agent in our lives. It surfaces sin that needs to be confessed so that we experience daily cleansing, so that our neighbors are, again, better off. Because as we confess our sins to God, we understand that maybe even the ways that our neighbors have sinned against us, we have the ability for, to forgive because we've been forgiven. So prayer always works in and out of us. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. So this gets us back to the spiritual battles that uh, Paul fleshes out for us in Ephesians 6, which is, man, man, guard me against those things. 
against those enemies, those spiritual forces that are just waging war against my soul. I need to be guarded against those things. So that's a little bit of the what when it comes to what and how we should pray. Again, we could spend more time on that that we don't have, but Luke 11 gives us such a simple outline in terms of how it is that we are to go before God. And again, you can pray that prayer. Um, that was just a model of the type of prayer that we're supposed to lay before uh, the feet of Christ. But we, certainly, we certainly shouldn't be rigid about that, but that gives us kind of a template. It kind of gives us a, a structure for the things that we are to bring before God's throne. So the next thing I want to hit as we're, as we're getting close here is when we should pray. When we should pray, right? We talked a little bit about the why. We talked a little bit about the what and the how. When should we pray? First Thessalonians 1.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when should we pray? Well, Paul just says always. He just says always. Let's not, let's not make this complicated. We should have hearts and minds that are in constant conversation with God. Uh, prayer is, is kind of like what I described what happens between my wife and I. It's, it's an ongoing conversation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this famous preacher from uh, the, the middle of the last century, said, always respond to every impulse to pray. So if there's ever a thought in your mind that says, I should pray about that, pray about that, right? Now these are things that just become more forming in our lives the more that we do them. Right? So again, we don't want to take this as some man, all right, man, let me write down another thing. I got to walk out of Soma, you know, and just have bearing down on me. No, but it's something that as it becomes more of a habit, as it becomes something that is more formed around you, you find like everything else in your life that is a pattern, this becomes a pattern, except it's the pattern of patterns, right? So Paul says, pray always. He also says, pray when we're with others. Acts 142, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Scripture compels us to pray together. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So prayer is a unifying force within the church family that expresses our togetherness and our community. We should also pray when we open God's Word. Have you ever thought about that? As you read God's Word, pray God's Word. Let the words you read be the prayers you recite. And again, pr praying God's Word means talking to God using His words, right? It's not incredibly complicated. It's not formulaic. In fact, I, I do it every week. As we open up our service with a call to worship, we pray. I just pray the words that we read. It's usually from a psalm. That's praying God's word. Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What are those acceptable, what are those most acceptable words to God? Well, God's word, right? And so we learn to read God's word and let those words be the prayers that continuously form around us. And so as we grow in our frequency and our lifestyle of prayer, we, we begin to pray God's word more and more because those become the words 
most ingrained in our mind and in the meditation of our hearts. What do we do when we don't know what to pray? When the words just aren't there? Man, I've had so many moments like that over the last year where I just sit there before the Lord and I don't know what to pray. And sometimes when we don't know what to pray, that's the prayer. We let ourselves be silent before the Lord and we meditate. We do the thing that's probably hardest for most of us to do, which is to sit quietly before God. Maybe have the Bible open, maybe have our eyes on Scripture and just wait. That's a very difficult thing, but what do we do when we want those words to come and they don't come? Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Like, Paul is saying, like, I get it. Like, you don't even know what to pray sometimes. And guess what? It's okay because you already have the Spirit interceding for you with words that are too deep for you even to draw up from the depths of everything that might be going on in your heart that you can't work out. Paul is saying it's okay. He said, because the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is, this is how deeply God is committed to your prayer. He says, you know what? I want you to come to me because I accept your words, and you have my voice. And guess what? When you don't have words, it's okay. I want you to come to me with the words you don't have because you have my Spirit who is going to intercede and provide those words that are escaping you. Do you see the generosity of God when it comes to our prayer life with him? So here's just a couple of encouragements, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to have you turn to Luke. We're already in Luke 11. Three remembrances when it comes to prayer. The first one is this. Remember the heart of God when you pray. Luke 11, verse 5. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then verse 9 says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do, do we realize the eagerness and the joy and the acceptance that God just eats up our prayers. I don't know if I should phrase it like that, but I just did. How he just eats up our prayers, how he just receives them with a joy and a delight that is far beyond any of the joy and delight that we experience at the pinnacle of our joy and delight. It's mind-blowing to think that the heart of God is so for you 
that it's like he can't contain his excitement when you come to him in prayer, man. It's like, dude, season three of The Mandalorian is hitting like in 10 minutes and you just found that out. None of you guys responded to that at all. I guess we're not that kind of crowd here, right? Disney Plus, man, I gave it up. 21 hit and... But that's the joy and the delight that he has. It's insane. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's a sobriety with that passage. There's also a jumping up and down, uncontained joy with that passage about how Jesus responds to us when we come to him. Remember the heart of God. When you pray. Secondly, remember that God uses your prayers to change things. Again, not because our words are magic, but that God responds to the heart behind them. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he reminds us of Elijah, this dude that we look at from the Old Testament, this prophet who did all these crazy miracles. But James reminds us that he was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Somehow, God is going to do what he wants to do. But for some crazy reason, God does things through the prayers of his people. That's how he does the things that he's going to do. That's how we see the will of God come to pass. And then finally, remember that praying increases your thirst. For Jesus, Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears say, "Come," and let the one who's thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. How do we tangibly do that right now in this world, on the earth, in our struggles? We do it through prayer. John Piper says, "Draw near in prayer to the throne of grace." Bow down before its majestic authority and on your knees drink from the river of the water of life that flows from the throne of God. Listen, a praying church is one that will find itself equipped and empowered to love Jesus, to love her neighbor with hearts of hope that will form patterns of response in selfless and sacrificial acts of service. A church that has any ability to navigate these absolutely bonkers times with any love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, understanding, and reasonableness is a church that drinks generously from the well of prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you gave us one of these means of grace, one of these benefits of our redemption, which is to be able to come to you, speak to the creator of the universe, and then have you listen and hear, and not only listen and hear, but to understand us and to receive our words with eagerness and joy. So, Lord, I pray that wherever we find ourselves today, in prayer, I pray that we wouldn't walk away in condemnation, but in commendation, or that we would see prayer as being the lifeblood of us as a community and a church that wants our own lives to not 
even be more deeply conformed to your passions, but how prayer will also help deeply form those passions of the people that are around us that we have been called to love and serve. So Lord, would you give us your grace to do that, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.